Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to take care of a few uh, housekeeping issues so I don't forget. How many of you do post-it notes? Yeah. I forget from there to up here, so I do post-it notes. And uh, so you have a young lady connected with your church who is just absolutely awesome. We spent time with her this summer in Europe. She's, she was an intern at Convoy of Hope Europe, Analia. And I think she's, uh, what camera's on? The middle one there? Annalie, I think you're at the Appleton campus this morning. So we love you. And thanks for serving at Convoy of Hope Europe. Would you show your appreciation for her? Yes. And then um, you got to see uh, my wife and uh, Brady and Mallory and Preston, uh, my family. I love them so much. And uh, <clears throat> I could have caught a flight up here from Cincinnati to do this weekend services, but Angie and my kids are like, we want to go see Aaron and Tammy. We want to go see Ava. We want to go spend the weekend. with." So we, uh, we got in the car and drove uh, six and a half hours yesterday, and we'll preach this morning, and then we'll drive six and a half hours back home this afternoon because they've got school in the morning. But uh, thank you for uh, welcoming us. We love this church. We love your pastor. Uh, I know he has a lot of guys in here from all over the country that say uh, they're Aaron's best friend, but I really am. <clears throat> and uh, he has been one of the greatest gifts that God's ever put in my life. Um, and so I'm just, just so thankful. I love Wisconsin. Uh, I really do. And I had an algebra teacher in high school who was a big Packers fan. And I was probably the worst algebra student she ever had. So, um, in fact, she made a deal at the end of the year, uh, one year. She said, if you promise never to take me again, I will pass you. I said, we got a deal. And uh, so I used to, every time we had a math test, I'd always say, Mrs. Martin, you remember how much I love the Packers, right? And, but it never helped with my tests. But uh, anyways... Uh, this is such a great church, and you guys are leaving a huge impact around the world because of your hearts of radical generosity and how you have been so selfless and, uh, and giving. And I, on behalf of all those that are serving children around the world at Convoy of Hope, uh, I want to say thank you. As Pastor Aaron told you, we're currently feeding 164,000 children a day all over the world. Isn't that awesome? Give yourselves a big hand for that. That's pretty remarkable. Unfortunately, to do that, guess what it takes? This, they're not only awesome, Aaron, they're geniuses. They said money. And uh, so part of my role is to help raise those resources so that those children who are currently outside of the fence can get inside of the fence where they're going to get food and nutrition and education. I had the privilege a number of years ago to be in, in Nairobi, Kenya, at one of our feeding programs about 14 years ago where I stood in line and actually fed the children the rice and the beans and, and all that. And then we provided their school uniforms and then we gave them shoes. Each kid got a pair of shoes. And I'll never forget, I was sitting on the front row of the chapel and this little boy at, raised his hand and asked his teacher if he could say something. This 12-year-old little boy from Nairobi, Kenya, walks up to the front, he grabs the microphone and there's a bunch of us from Convoy of Hope sitting on the front row and he says, I just want you to know that I am 12 years old, and today, this is the very first pair of shoes I've ever had on my feet. And we were dumbfounded. We were shocked, because probably most of us in this room have 10, 12 pairs in our closet, and most of them we don't wear. And this kid said, today, this is the very first pair of shoes I have ever had on my feet, and I just want to say to you, 
thank you. That's because of people like you here at Life Church. But let's get into Scripture this morning. Did you know that the Bible has about 2,300 verses of Scripture on money and possessions? 2,300 verses. And faith is referred to about 500 times. Prayer is referred to about 500 times. But on money and resources and stewardship, there are 2,300 verses. I mean, you say it must be pretty important to God. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 and 24, if you're following along, you can look up on the screens this morning. It says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and desire the other and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray this morning that your life-changing truth that is found in your word would radically change our lives today. I pray, Lord, that um, you would reveal things to us and speak to us. This morning, we don't just want to hear about you. We want to hear you. So please speak to us today. Give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do it. May nothing of self be established this morning, but only lifting high King Jesus. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and mighty son. And everybody said... Amen. How many of you would agree with me that we live in a world and a culture that's sometimes backwards and upside down? How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you look at the definition of success, the world's definition of success is about how much I get and how many people are under me. That's the world's definition of success. How much can I accumulate? How much can I get? And on the flow chart at the office, how many people are under me? And yet, God's definition of success is completely flip-flop the other way. God's definition of success is about how much I give away and how many people I serve. And there's a tremendous amount of tension there because what the world says is success and what God says is success are pulling on two different ends. But how many of you know what I think of you is my problem. What you think of me is your problem. But what God thinks of us, buddy, we better get on the stick. And God says, my definition of success is about how much you give away and how many people you serve. That's what makes me happy. And so this morning, as we look at this great cause, as we look at this wonderful opportunity before us, let's take that to heart this morning. I want to share with you probably my favorite story found in Scripture because it's a story about sharing. How many of you when you were a kid, you weren't very good at sharing? You know, when you're, when you're three years old, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so there's this awesome story. Let me take care of one more housekeeping issue because I can just tell. It's the early service and you're a little glazed over. Turn to the person next to you and go, man, he's short. Okay. <laughs> There you go. Now that that's out of the way, we can move on. <laughs> it's okay. Politically correct, I am vertically challenged and nutritionally enhanced. 
also known as a short fat guy. All right, now, now we've cleared that all up. So there's a great story in Scripture found in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. I love this story. Let's read it together. I think this will be up on the screens for you as well. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him there because they saw what? You can talk. It's okay. This is a church where you're allowed to talk in church. For they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I love this. He asked this only to test him for what he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down about how many? About 5,000 of them. Verse 11, Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated how much? As much as they wanted. This was the very first golden corral in Galilee. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled how many? Twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. How many of you think this is a pretty cool story? If you don't think that's a cool story, then we've got a problem. <laughs> Come on, folks. This is an amazing story. There's five loaves and two fish. How many teachers do we have in the room? Come on, teachers. Be proud. You are shaping the minds of the future. Yes, three, four. Any more teachers? Five. Okay. If you're not a teacher, but you think you're good at math, raise your hand. There we go. We got a few more people involved. Good. Let me ask you this question. This is not a trick question, just a simple problem. How many of you think you know the answer to this? Seth, who yelled that out? Wow. What's your name, buddy? Logan? Yeah, you, I'm voting for you for president, Logan. All right, here we go. Five plus two, Logan says... Is seven. How many of you think Logan's right? Raise your hand. How many of you know that according to God's mathematics, when God's involved, it all changes? Okay. Now, here, here's what, here, how many of you think this might be the answer? How many of you like that? We, we just read a story. How many of you like five plus two equals 5,000 when God's involved? Okay. It's close. But you forgot to read the details. We forgot what? Women and children. So this might be a closer answer right here. How many of you like that one? When we give what we have, God does something miraculous. And, and sometimes it looks like this. How many of you know this still isn't the right answer? How about this? What did the last part of the verse say? How much? How many baskets were left over? Oh, wow. 
Five plus two equals 15,000, remainder 12. And some of you are going, I did not come here for math class this morning. But here's the point. When God's in it, all bets are off. And God's going to ask you to do something this morning for this one day to feed the world offering that you may not be prepared to see what God's going to do miraculously because I believe at Life Church Germantown today, this is going to be a miraculous service that may change the trajectory of your missions for the rest of your lives here. Turn to the person next to you and say, today a miracle is going to happen. Today a miracle is going to happen. Now, can you imagine... Later on that day, this little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus, let's just say his name was James, and I'm guessing he was probably my son Preston's age, he's probably 11 or 12, and his mother sits down with him after school and says, James, did you eat the lunch I gave you today? And he said, yes, mom, and I shared it with 15,000 of my closest friends. I mean, think about this. This is the story of his life. Can, can you fast forward the clock 50 years, and this guy is, you know, 60-something years old now, and he's got his grandson sitting on his knee. And his grandson says, Grandpa, tell me the lunch story again. Your mom made you a lunch, and you went out on the, on, by the sea on the field in the grassy area, and you gave it to someone, and he fed 15,000 people? I mean, this was the story of his life. Do you realize this morning that as you partner with Convoy of Hope, you have an opportunity for today to be the story of your life? Why is that? Well, if you're taking notes or you want to follow along this morning, number one, because a miracle always starts with somebody. There's got to be somebody for the miracle to happen. And guess what? You're a somebody. I'm a somebody. Everybody who participates this morning gets to be a somebody in this story. A miracle always starts with somebody. We could spend all day just reading the miracles and listening to stories in Scripture. How many of you remember the blind man in John chapter 9? When Jesus makes a, a spitball mud, mud pie and jams it in the guy's eye. Another great story. How many of you like that one? This guy on the front row, thank you for giggling, sir. God bless you. Yeah, you remember this story? Maybe it's because uh, I'm a guy. Or maybe it's because when I was a kid, I used to make mud pies. Anybody ever make mud pies when it was raining out in your front yard? Yeah. Or maybe because deep down, I've always wanted to jam one in someone's face. I don't know, but I like this story. And, and here's the thing. With this story, we can follow it along here too. Number two, miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. Now this guy's got mud on his face. And then Jesus says what I think is one of the funniest phrases in the Bible. He looks at him and says, go wash your face. How many of you know someone who, who makes comments like that? You got mud all over your face. And you, hey, go make... I think it's funny because how many of you instinctively, if you had mud all over your face, would probably go wash it? <laughs> you can't see, you got stuff hanging off, and you go, I think I'm going to go wash my face. 
That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. Let, let that sink in for a moment. The miracle happened because miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. And he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. Now, number three. When we do what we can, guess what? God does what we can't. When we do what we can, God does what we can't. Now, I've seen miracles in various seasons of my life. I've seen physical miracles. I've seen financial miracles. For whatever reason, I've seen more financial miracles in my life than any other miracle. And I, and I give God all the glory. But it's about, number four in your notes, it's all about listening to the prompting and acting in obedience. How many of you know that you know that you know you felt the Holy Spirit nudge you or push you or say, hey, I want you to do this. Let me see your hands. You know what that prompting feels like. It may not have been an audible voice, a James Earl Jones from God, but, but you know that God was speaking to you. You know he was tapping on your heart. You know he was saying, hey, I need you to step out. I need you to do this. Several years ago, there was a guy in our church who had a friend who didn't attend our church, and his son uh, was on life support. He was, his brain had flatlined, and uh, he called the guy who attends our church and said, would you send your priest over <laughs> to pray for my son before we pull the life support? Kind of a last rites thing is, in his mind is what he was. And my friend said, well, he's not a priest, he's our pastor, but I'm sure he'd, he would go over. And so I go over to the hospital, and I'm thinking I'm just going to try to comfort this pastor, I mean this uh, parent, uh, because I, didn't, I wasn't really praying for the kid. He was, he was brain dead. He was lifeless. He was on life support. And they were getting ready to pull the plug. And, um, but I just felt as I started to pray, I was going to pray for the father, for comfort for him and, and his family. And as I started to pray, I felt one of those nudges. I felt one of those promptings. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, put your hand on the kid's head. And I put my hand on the kid's head, and it was like, it was on fire. It was like my hand was so hot. And I said, uh, Lord, I just pray for this father on this difficult day. Now think about this. Here I'm a pastor. I'm not even praying for this kid. I'm praying for the father because he's already flatlined. His brain waves are, are, are dead. And, and I put my, so I'm not praying for this young man praying for this father and the family and the difficult day that's ahead of them. And as I put my hand on his head and start to pray, the kid sits straight up in bed, scared me to death. I thought, what in the world? I looked down to see if I was stepping on his oxygen or I didn't know what had happened. And the nurse comes in and says, what did you do? And I said, I, I, I didn't do anything. I was, just, I was just praying for him. And the father goes, oh my goodness, he just sat up and opened his eye. The point is, how many of you know God's used rotten vessels all through history? I mean, look at this guy right here. The point is, when you obey the prompting, even if you're not sure you're in tune with what's going on, but you're obedient to what God's asking you to do, miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. Isn't that crazy? Now, <laughs> 
few years later, my wife and I had moved from Baltimore to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm pastoring now. We could not sell our home in Baltimore, and we had to live in my parents' basement for 14 months. I know, you're thinking, you're one pathetic loser. <laughs> you live, you're married, and you live in your parents' basement for 14 months. We could not sell our home. We, couldn't, we didn't have the money to buy. Everything we had was tied up in our other home. And um, how many of you, you're probably more spiritual than I am. I'm just a pastor. But uh, you, your prayer times turn into complaint sessions with God. Anybody? Aaron, I'm the only one who complains to God in here. <laughs> the rest of you are just awesome. But for me, it was Christmas Eve in Cincinnati, Ohio. I didn't have any extra money to buy Angie a Christmas present or my parents. I was complaining to God about, I'm still living in my parents' basement. We haven't sold our home. I don't have any money for Christmas. And uh, everyone else on staff, I gave them off. I was the only one working at the church on Christmas Eve, and I was telling God what an awesome person I was for serving him in the midst of this misery. Isn't that pathetic? Terrible. And it was almost five o'clock, and I thought, if I can just get out of here and not talk to anyone and go home, it'll be awesome. And as soon as I thought, had that thought, this guy walks up with a paper bag. I have an office with a window that goes down the side of our building. He walks up with a paper bag, and I thought, oh, great, here's a drunk now that I'm apt to talk to when I'm already ticked off about Christmas. And um, so I thought if I can just, I shouldn't even admit this, but I thought if I can just get to the blinds of my window and drop them, he won't know I'm in here. <laughs> this is 100% true, folks. And as I reach over to grab the string to pull the blinds, the drunk guy thinks I'm waving. And he goes, <laughs> and I let go of the string and went, and he's pointing for me to go around to let him in the door. I thought, seriously, God, it's Christmas Eve, and now this guy's going to want something, and I don't even have anything now for my own family. And uh, the Lord just said, go open the door and let him in. And I went and opened the door, and the guy's in an all-white painter outfit. He looked like he just came from some painting store. He had the paper painter's hat and everything, all white, paper bag. He says, are you Pastor Brad? I was like, okay, that's weird. I was like, yeah. And he said, I was driving down Route 4 here, and the Lord told me to pull in here and give you this bag. And I thought, oh, my, is it a bomb? <laughs> and so I was like, well, man, thank you very much. And uh, I didn't even get the guy's name. And he goes, Merry Christmas. And I thought to myself, yeah, Merry Christmas. I'm living in my parents' basement. Thank you. And, uh, and so I took the bag, and I went in my office, and he left, and uh, then I dropped my blinds. I didn't want any other customers for the day. And I was sitting there, and I thought, should I open the bag? Or <laughs> I just set it on my desk, and I thought, well, how bad could things get now anyways? Christmas is already ruined. So I'm sitting there looking at this bag on my desk, and I remembered that our mortgage payment for our townhouse in Baltimore was $900, and Angie had just paid it. And uh, I thought, man, if we could just sell our house, we could save a couple months, and I could actually use that money to buy some Christmas. And I opened up that bag, and inside of that bag was 
a wrapped up roll of money with rubber band around it. And it was nine $100 bills, the exact number of our mortgage in Baltimore. It was unbelievable. That even if maybe your heart isn't in it, or maybe you even have a bad attitude, or you don't even really think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, that if you still obey the prompting and try to reach out to someone and help them, God can take what you have and turn it into a miracle. How many of you know God can do that? Now, I don't know how physical miracles work, but I know they do. I've seen God do it. I don't know how financial miracles work, but I know they do. I've experienced it. Number five in your notes, or if you're following along, he gave what he had in his hand and celebrated the miracle the rest of his life. This little boy gave what he had in his hand and then celebrated that miracle the rest of his life. You got that opportunity this morning. You're going to get to give what you have in your hand, and with God involved, you're going to be able to celebrate that miracle for the rest of your life. While Angie and I lived in Baltimore, we used to live 26 miles from our church, and we couldn't afford a house in Baltimore. It's just the cost of living was crazy. So we would drive 26 miles one way together in traffic between Baltimore and D.C., which is nuts. It's insane traffic. So we'd have about an hour together in the car on the way and our commute there and our commute back. So I was praying one morning, and uh, I prayed, and uh, I said uh, we would do our devotions in the car and talk and pray. And I said, I think the Lord wants us to give $50 to Dave, one of the guys on our staff, and maybe tell him to take his boys out for pizza tonight. It was a Friday night. And Angie said, yeah, I think that's, I think that's of the Lord. And she said, and I think you should tell him to, to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. And I said, as the spiritual theologian of this home. <laughs> God will prompt us to give, but God doesn't know anything about Chuck E. Cheese. You know, God, God doesn't talk in Chuck E. Cheese language. He says, you know, you, yeah, you need to give this here and you need to give this, you need to help this person. And I just, I gave her a, a Christian rebuke. It was a, it was a godly instruction that I gave her. God, God's the giver, he's the provider. He doesn't talk about Chuck E. Cheese, but okay. So we get to work. She says, did you go see Dave and give him the $50? I said, not yet. She said, you better do it. God told you to do it. Lunchtime, she calls me. Have you given the money to Dave yet? I said, no, no, I haven't yet. She said, what is wrong with you? God told you to do that. You better obey what he's asking you to do. So after school, she calls me. It's about 5 o'clock. She says, um, have you given the money to Dave? And I said, I I'm on my way. And I, I, I was sitting down, but I stood up when I said that, so I wasn't technically lying. <laughs> She's like, have you given the money to Dave? And I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way right now. And I just stood up in my chair. And I walked down, and I knocked on Dave's door. I said, hey, Dave, sorry to bother you. I don't want this to be weird or awkward, but I just feel like I need to say something. Angie and I were praying on the way to school this morning and work, and we just felt like God wanted us to give you $50 to take the boys out for pizza tonight. And then being the, the mighty man of faith, mighty man of God I am, I threw Angie under the bus and said, and Angie thinks you should take the boys to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, I wasn't going to tie God into that, you know. <laughs> am I a jerk or what? And he stood up from his desk, 
And he walked around the front. He sat on the edge of the desk, and he put his head down, and his glasses started to slide down on his face. I said, I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry. He goes, no, no, no. You have no idea. He started to cry. I said, what's, what's going on, man? He said, today is my son Joey's birthday. Today he's nine years old. And he said, and the last thing he said to me standing on the steps at our house before I pulled out of the garage was, Dad, is there any way we can go to Chuck E. Cheese for my birthday tonight? Now, if God knows how to take care of a nine-year-old little boy who has a request for his dad to take him to Chuck E. Cheese to prompt two other people who have no idea that it's even his birthday or that he even has that desire. That when we do what we can with what we have, God does what we can't and provides a miracle. And this morning, you're going to have an opportunity to do something that I really believe, not just in this church's life, but in your life, will be the miraculous story for the rest of your life. I know that you have, I read your materials, you have a greater, the, the greater initiative is kind of your, your missions giving. And the Lord has really just stretched my heart. He's, he's done things to us. And as I was praying in our own mission giving conference, you know, I used to think, well, man, if I could give as much as a car payment a month to missions, that would be great, or so on and so forth. And the Lord once again gave me this prompting and spoke to me and he said I want your missions giving to be your highest payment per month I want it to be higher than your mortgage I want you to give in a way to reach people who don't know me more than any other priority in your life and for the last five years God has allowed us to give more to missions than our mortgages every month and God has done miracles in mine and Angie's life that you could never imagine or dream. And all I'm saying is, if you will have the courage to listen to that prompting and obey what God's telling you to do, it could become the miraculous story of your life. Some of you came prepared this morning with your one-day offering, but God may be asking you to do two days some of you came prepared this morning for that one-day offering, and he may be saying right now, you know, there's a truck outside, one of our Convoy of Hope trucks. It costs $6,000 for us to fill that truck full of food and supplies. You had something prepared, but God may say, I want you to give a truck full. I want you to give a, a full truckload of food this morning. I can promise you, here's what I've discovered in my life. Every time I come to an event like this or I'm involved in an event like this and I'm praying, I have a number in my head. And then when I start praying, God gives me another number. Has anybody ever experienced this? And here's what I've discovered. Every time I've done that, God's number was bigger than my number. <laughs> Every time I said, God, what do you want me to do? The number that came back was always bigger than the number I had in my mind. And, this, and then this thought. This thought was quickened in my spirit. I would rather do God's number with his help than my number all by myself. 
And if you have the courage, if you have the courage this morning to obediently follow through on the number that God's put in your heart, I can promise you it will be the miraculous story of your life. Because that's how God's nature is. That's how God works. You cannot outgive God. You can't. We had given to missions more than our mortgage for a year. Someone completely out of the blue. No one knew this. No one knew this. And for my wife's birthday, someone out of the blue gave her a Honda Pilot. How many of you would say that's crazy? That's crazy stuff. But when you obey God and you follow those promptings, I can promise you, ladies and gentlemen, it will become the miraculous story of your life. Don't be afraid. Because when God's in the mix, five plus two doesn't equal seven. Five plus two equals 15,000, remainder 12. Let's pray. Father, I believe that you're going to do miracles today. I believe that you want to release resources in people's businesses and in their families and in their lives like they've never seen before. And if they will just trust you, God, and step out in faith, God, if we can just listen to your voice and your prompting and have the courage to be obedient and follow through, Lord, we trust you. We know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and you own the hills underneath the cattle. And so, Lord, this morning we trust you. Now, Lord, would you speak to us? Ladies and gentlemen, would you take a moment and just say, God, please speak to me. And I believe with all my heart, God will drop a number in your heart. Have the courage and faith to say, God, I trust you. Now, Lord, give them the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do it. May your hand of favor and blessing rest upon every person within the sound of my voice. In Jesus' mighty, powerful name we pray. And everybody said, amen.